This is The Engine Room, Home Church Scotland's leadership podcast. Leadership is the driving force behind any organisation. Thanks for joining us as we share some of the things that we've learned on our leadership journey. Guys, it's so good to see you. Um, I'm genuinely crazy, crazy encouraged to be part of a church that can get folk out on a Tuesday morning just to do a bit more learning and a bit of praying and stuff. I was talking to Steve Mostyn last week. I phoned him and said, oh, it was great. Like uh, 20, 23, 25 people was there. And he said, be prepared for a lot less next week. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> sometimes that can happen. But there isn't a lot less next week. In fact, there might be one or two more. So God, God's really, really good. I'm not going to promise you or even claim that today will be the most coherent message you've heard. I've just got a number of disjointed things that I feel to say. So some of you, you might be like, what, 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 what? But I really do feel like that each part of it's really, really important. And each part of it is really useful in, in terms of, of leadership. Um, firstly, and incoherent with the rest of, the, of today's message, but I want to share something with you. The Bible talks about uh, not casting your pearls before swine, which is really just saying... It's a really, really good leadership lesson is be careful who you share things with uh, because there are people who you'll share things with that will take it in the, the manner in which you shared it and will maybe be behind you and maybe be support you. Feel free to take notes, by the way, if you want. There's books if you need them. Um, but if you share the wrong, the wrong thing or even if you share the right thing with the wrong person, um, things can get twisted and things can get said and, and, and all sorts of stuff and and, and I recognize that as, as a pastor. I, I love our online church, but uh, the online church also leads to certain people just saying what they want. So there was a few corkers said online about my giving sermon the other week. But thankfully, we have a church that are supportive and we ran out of standing order forms two weeks in a row. So I know that God used that sermon and I know that God moved through that sermon. So if a few crazy folk want to have a go at me online and call me a money grab and whatever, that's up to them, Right. But the not casting pearls before swine is a really, really important message to learn as a leader. We be careful who we share things with. There was something really encouraging happened to me last week, and I want to share it with you. And I didn't share it on Sunday because I would be casting my pearls before swine. And there's some people I don't want to share that with online, but I'm happy to share it with you as a room because I believe that you're here because you've got a heart for home church. And I believe that you're here because you're behind the leadership here and because you're behind the church. If, if you're not, <laughs> no, I know, I know that you are. Um, if you remember last Sunday, not Sunday just passed, but the Sunday before, I spoke about, I believe that we actually can see revival. And I, and I think I called myself a crazy revivalist was the words that I used. And I genuinely believe we can see revival coming. Um, I came into uh, church on Wednesday, was it Becca, Wednesday? And there was a nice little package here for me recorded delivery with my name on it. And uh, I've got a photo of it to show you. I had this hat in a box that says revival is coming to home church. And then if you go to the next uh, slide, it says, hey, Dave and Ella, the Lord told me to give you this hat and to say that you're going to revive Scotland and see revival in home church. Love, Steve. Now, Steve is a pastor from the east end of Scotland. And uh, I got that and I said to Ella, here, look what I got from Steve. 
And, he, and she said, he must have heard your message on Sunday. I thought, ah, oh, you must have heard my message on Sunday. So I phoned Steve. I went, all right, bro, did you hear my message on Sunday? He said, no, I've not watched it. And I was like, ah, so I said, all right. I said, I actually spoke about revival coming and said, I believe for revival. He was like, that's crazy, man. He said, I just totally felt God say really, really clearly to me that he was going to bring it. And he was, and he was, he was bringing it through your church and I just wanted to encourage you. So that was crazy encouraging. And then on Friday, uh, Thursday and Friday, myself, Ella, Mike and Bev were at the uh, uh, pastor's uh, prayer for Scotland. So there was a hundred, in fact, I think they'd said in the end over 200 pastors from all over Scotland, which is the largest gathering of pastors in 110 years met to pray for our nation, which was really, really encouraging. And I want to tell you for your own encouragement as well, when in that room full of 200 pastors when they were talking about churches that were making a difference we get singled out with three other churches in the whole room which was crazy encouraging for me as well but people can see what's happening here other people can see things and it's really encouraging but they were talking one of the things we were praying for was revival and they played this old Duncan Campbell message about revival it was really really encouraging and in this message he's talking about folk that just have this desire to go to church for any reason there's no rhyme or reason to why they want to go they just feel in themselves that they've to come to church that's what they've to do so we get that on the friday and then i get home from that prayer meeting and there's a message from someone in facebook saying i i have no idea why but i really i feel i'm supposed to be at your church i'm desperate to come to your church can I come on Sunday? What do I need to do? What, like, what do I need to wear? And, and all of that stuff. Just really feel I need to be there. So it's like, man, you don't need to wear anything, blah, blah. You know, really, we'd be really, really. Oh, no, you need to wear, you know, you know, I'm sorry, right? I mean, anything in particular. I mean, like, a, I mean, like a three piece suit or something, right? So, <laughs> there are churches like that, but I've seen one of them. <laughs> right, anyway. Anyway. So, however, that. That woman came on Sunday with her husband and both made the decision to follow Jesus first time ever in church. And that, David, yes, you can. We normally sit in the middle part of the church here. Yeah. And there's no need to go to the toilet and she was an age. Yeah. And so we came in and she sat down beside this couple. Yeah. My Isabel being my Isabel, she started talking to this couple. Yeah. And chatting to them and the whole time that they were waiting. Mm -hmm. We went out saying the Lord led us to sit there. Yeah, absolutely. Isabel, if you know Isabel, you know you do know Isabel, yeah. but she she just communicates with people. She's mm -hmm. a Catholic. Yeah. If you asked her, she wouldn't say that, but that's no, no, she is. Yeah, absolutely. And she just sat there and chatted with them. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Um, so important. Yeah. So important. But it's really, really encouraging. So did we do anything for that family to come in here and get saved? No, not a thing. God did it. And that's where revival starts. And there's probably four or five people, maybe more in this church that I can tell you about that all told me the same thing. They felt like there was a cord tied around their waist pulling them towards our church before they'd ever been in church in their life. And that, when I'm hearing stories of the Lewis revival and other revivals, that's how they started. I'm just saying that for your encouragement today. It's not really massively part of the leadership session, but God can do it. And he can do it here. He's going to do it somewhere, why not here? He's done it in Kirk and Tillich before. He can do it in Kirk and Tillich again. So I'm really, really encouraged by that. So anyway, I want to also share this morning just some, um, some points that I think I've learned over the four years that I've been here and some of the things that God has said. And 
Make absolutely no mistake, as I'm saying this, church, it is God and God alone who builds a church. Um, whether a church grows or not is based on God's blessing on it. And I wish I could quantify why God's blessing was on some places more than others. I can't really do that. But um, no, that is probably a fair comment. But also God just moves in different ways in different places and has different plans for different churches. And that's okay, which is why in leadership, you never ever really compare yourself. You, you, you run your own race and you stay on your own path. And you don't really pay too much attention to what you support what's going on around about you, but that's that's as far as it goes. You're on you're on your own race. But in running and running this race, there's definitely been a few things that God has said to me that has encouraged me and that has I believe helped shape the direction of where we're going and therefore helped towards uh, the, the running uh, leading of this church. The very or one of the very, very first things God said to me was about three no, I started in September. This would have been the May after I started, so kind of maybe eight months later. And Ernie will tell you, I came in here, didn't have a clue what I was doing. I'd never been an elder before. I'd never been in church leadership before. I'd been a youth pastor before. Dave was one of the elders in that church. It was a disaster. Well, it was good, but it wasn't easy, right? But I'd never, I'd never been part of a leadership. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I remember I'm sitting down in this, uh, in this wee conference for, for leaders down in England like God how on earth do I do this how on earth I, what on earth am I doing really really clear build a church that your kids would want to go to that was one of the first things God said to me build a church that your kids would want to go to um, Psalm 78 verse 46 says we will not hide them from their children things about God we will tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he's done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers teach to their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn uh, and arise and tell them to their children. Psalm 71 verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs. So some of us have got, come on, right? Even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. The responsibility on us as Christians to teach the message to the next generation is absolutely fundamental to what we're supposed to do in a church. But how on earth can we teach the message to the next generation when the next generation aren't here? Because... We're doing stuff that just doesn't work for them anymore. Psalm 145 verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. See, in the outside of church in the world, every single organization in the world understands the importance of getting the next generation. They all do. You've probably all noticed, well, I don't know, maybe it's me because I love fast food, right? I don't know. Burger King changed their logo. Did anyone notice? Oh, you're not interested. I'm interested, Mary, right? I like Burger King. <laughs> so, next time you're driving past Burger King, not the one in Cumbernauld because they've not updated it yet, but most of the other Burger Kings you'll see have changed back to the 80s logo. So, they used to have like a Burger King logo and then they changed it to modernize it in the early 2000s and now they've changed it back to the 80s logo because they understand that the generation that's coming through now love all things retro. 
That's why, so records for the first time since CDs come out, outsold CDs in the, in the last year, because all of a sudden people are enjoying retro stuff. So Burger King and their genius marketing team understood that, all right, the, the youth of today are loving retro, so if we want them to eat in our restaurant, we want them to come to your restaurant, we need to do something that's going to entice them to come in, so let's put a retro logo back up. And they made, and that costs a lot of money, by the way, but they do that to get the youth in, because if you don't get young folk in enjoying eating from your restaurant, one day your restaurant's going to close. And all businesses understand that. Whole ton of other places have like, kids go free, kids eat free, kids do this free, because they just want the kids in. Yes, they know if they get the kids and they get the parents as well. That's a part of it, right? But bigger than that is if you get the kids used to going into your establishment and, you, and, and starting to like your food from a young age or all of that stuff, then they're going to grow up using your establishment. And they all kind of understand that. I don't think churches understand that very well. In my experience of growing up in church, really, I mean, I've a few good experiences which I'm going to share with you, but a lot of it has been people... People have got this false impression that church is there to, for them. The church is there for their enjoyment. I love church, but it doesn't exist for my enjoyment. And in actual fact, if I don't enjoy it, but loads of folk are being led to God, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, that's all right. But we have to be, we have to have a mind on the next generation. Now that means that when we get to a certain age, we're probably not going to enjoy the music. It means when we get to a certain age, There'll be things in which we've done that are traditional that we've always done that are not going to happen anymore and we're not really going to enjoy it anymore. But a man that I know with a serious amount of wisdom by the name of Ernest Baton once told me that as long as the gospel's been preached, there is no reason to leave a church. And he's bang on. As long as the gospel has been preached faithfully, the other stuff round about it doesn't actually matter. So if we can change some of the stuff around about it to encourage the next generation to come in, to give us an opportunity to do what the Bible says and declare his mighty acts to another generation, then we need to be okay with that. And actually, if we had a nation uh, full of people with a heart for the next generation that cared less about their enjoyment of church and more about getting the gospel to the next generation, the church in Scotland wouldn't be in the mess that it's in. So a home church for us to move forward, I desperately want us to have a heart for the next generation. It's a key thing in leadership. If there's nobody to pass the church onto, it's going to close one day. It's going to die one day. And then we've not been good stewards of what we have. I remember when I was um, in Lenzie Union Parish Church up the road and uh, we put together a little band one day and I got to play drums for the first time in that wee church because the organist was off and he said to me, it was probably silly of them, Dave, could you sort of be something for music on Sunday? I went, I again, man, no bother. <laughs> Set the drums up in the church and all that and made a whole lot of noise. And I remember this old man, Bill was his name, and he came up, he was having a real go at me for bringing drums into the church. He hated it, he just, he, he wasn't for having it. And um, I thought to myself, I'm going to make him my pal. And so, uh, and so I went down to see him one day and I found out what he liked and he liked classical music. So I started talking to him about classical music and the things that, cause I was in a symphony orchestra and all that. So I know all the classical stuff as well. And he was like, you like classical music? Love classical music. And we just sat and had a right listen to classical music. For that point on, that guy was my best pal. And every time he seen me, even long after I get married, every time I visited the church, he'd come up and he'd, he'd slip a wee 20 quid for the kids or a wee this, a wee, I just, he wanted to look after. I was like another one of his kids. I mean, because I built this relationship 
with him. It's really important. And actually, although, although the first interaction with this guy wasn't good, I took a huge amount of comfort as a young man that this older guy actually made an effort with me and actually wanted to spend time with me. So don't, like, don't think as an older person either that you're out of touch. And uh, uh, by the way, you might think, oh, he's only talking to the older generation here, but that's going to be all he is one day. So I'm talking to you all, right? We're all one point, we're all going to be the older generation. And let's really be okay with working with young people and encouraging young folk. And be, like, just, you, honestly, see if you all just chose one, see that guy there, that girl there, I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to bless them. They'll stay in church and they'll remember it for the rest of their life. Because I remember it as well. I don't think the older generation realize how important they are in church. Because, because you fall into the trap of going, like, the music's not for me anymore, so I'm not important. You're the most important people in a church. The older generation are the most important generation in the church. It is based on your kindness and love and support, respect and support, whether a church survives or fails. And, and we really, really need to understand that. Even today, people at like Anne Burgoyne, people at like Isabel and Mary, who are a bit younger than Anne Burgoyne, by the way, right? <laughs> I just want to say that. But, but, they, but, but, but retired people who, like, and, and to, you know, to be fair, certainly with yourself, Mary, hasn't experienced a church like this before. But it's embraced it and, and actually uh, loves it. And that is more encouraging to me than a young person saying they love this church. I kind of expect young folk to love this church because that's how I've led it. But when somebody like Anne Burgoyne at 90 years old says, I can see God moving, so there's nothing I can say about that. She's not 90 yet, but in April we're going to have a 90th birthday for Anne Burgoyne, right? Don't tell her. We're going to do it though. She's, all, she's heading for 90 in April and she just loves seeing God move. And it's such an encouragement to me. So I, what I'm saying is, like, even as a pastor at 40 years old, the, the older, when the older generation support me, it means more to me than anything else. And it's the same for young people. So be aware of your importance as we get older to have the right attitude, the right mentality, and how we earn the right to preach the message to the next generation is simply by loving them. So you earn the right to speak into people's life. We know that in leadership, don't we? Yeah, like you earn respect, you earn the right to say things. And we do that by loving them. Also, with regards to, to leadership, um, we have to understand, in my opinion, and people might disagree, but we have to understand it's our responsibility to build the numbers in the church. I think that's really important. I've heard this wrong, in my opinion. Sentence said all through my Christian days, really, that numbers don't matter. I think numbers matter ridiculously well. There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers, right? <laughs> numbers matters. But also, if you were to read Acts 2, verse 41, it would say, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It didn't say those who accepted their message were baptized. doesn't matter how many, that's not important, but they were baptized that day. It tells us 3,000 were saved because 3,000 is important to know because what that's telling us is to think big. That's telling us that 3,000 people can be saved at the same time. God can do massive things. God can bring masses of people in at the same time. It tells us that Jesus fed 5,000 people and then he fed 4,000 people plus women and children. It didn't just say Jesus fed some people because that's no as impressive as Jesus fed 5,000 people. Numbers, in my opinion, are really, really, really important because they encourage people 
And I believe that the growth in the early church is supposed to inspire us and to give us an example of what to aspire to and what we want to see happen here. I don't understand how the church in Scotland or other places for that matter got to the place of thinking that numbers don't matter because they really, really, really do. They don't matter as much as the gospel being preached. Of course they don't. I would rather have a smaller church and a massive church full of folk that weren't here for Jesus. I get all of that. I understand all of that. Just to be abundantly clear, the gospel being preached is the most important thing. People being discipled is the most important thing. But actually, if we're doing that stuff right, there will be an increase in numbers. So the only way to measure really whether you're having an impact or not is to see things growing. And, and God wants to see our church grow. I've been just, this, this is the verse of my life right now, but I love it. Um, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, I'll cut it off. Uh, any branch that does bear fruit, I'll prune. Why? So that it would bear more fruit. God wants us to be bearing more fruit. God wants us to be growing. God wants us to be moving forward so the whole numbers doesn't matter thing I think is a, a small mindset and I think it's a wrong mindset and I think as leaders we want to have large mindsets big mindsets kingdom mindsets and the kingdom of God grows at an incredible rate and still is I've said it again there's more people becoming Christians daily now all over the world than what there's ever been in history it's not happening in Scotland but it can happen again because God can do it and I want us as a church to have kingdom mindset. So numbers do matter. That's uh, point number two. So point number one, and if you're taking notes, was build a church that your kids would want to go to. The next generation are extremely important. Uh, point number two is that numbers are important. Point number three, and this was something that God said to me that same day, as build a church that your kids would want to go to. He said, Dave, take risks. Because I'm a bit of a risk taker, Right? I'm a wee bit of a risk taker. Risk takers are something that we don't see in church very often anymore. Again, you might disagree, but in my experience, I don't remember seeing risks getting taken. I remember seeing a load of things not being done because it might offend someone, a load of things not being done because it might upset that one particular person in the church or a whole lot of reasons to not do things and a whole lot of reasons to not move forward and a whole lot of reasons to not step out in faith. But when I read the Bible, it's full of risk takers. Full of risk takers. Even you go right back to Abraham and he uh, left his country at quite an old age to go where God told him to go. That's a risk to take. But it worked out because God had sent him. Noah built an ark on dry land. Right? Now, yes, you're all going to say, yeah, but God told him to build an ark. Yes, God did tell him to build an ark, but it was still a risk that he took. If we simply took the risks that God told us to take, I would be happy with that. I'm not asking us to take a risk that God doesn't ask us to take. But when God says to do something, even if it looks risky, I think we're safe to go down that road because we're called, I believe, to be risk takers. Look at Gideon going and fighting the Midianites with his tiny army of people. Massive risk, but not, it's not really a risk if God sends you. But humanly speaking, it is a risk. But we need to get like out the mindset of, that's a risk, that's a risk, that's a risk. That If God says go, we go. If God says go, there is no risk. If God says go, there is no danger. But humanly speaking, we're going to look like risk takers a little bit. I look at Paul in the New Testament, and I love Paul in the New Testament and the risks that he takes in sharing the gospel. You see points in time that Paul 
get absolutely battered and pummeled. And like anyone would be like, I want to get out of this situation. And he's like, that right, get me up there. I want to preach now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And he wants to preach to the same crowd that knocked him black and blue. That's a risk. That's a risk. When the, the story I'd spoken about on Sunday, when, the, when his chains fell off and the prison doors opened, to stay in that prison risked his life. But he, he risked his life for the benefit of the jailer and for the salvation of his family. And taking risks is something that's just went missing in church. But we're, if we read the Bible, we're called to be risk takers. I believe that. So take risks. Take risks on people and take risks on church and take risks uh, on sharing the gospel. Take risks in people means actually sometimes just give people a chance to see whether they'll sink or swim. Because if we don't, nobody's ever swimming. Um, I am, like I've said this before as well, the first time that I preached, it, I was 15 years old in the Church of Scotland. There's no way in this earth I preached as well as several other people in that church might have preached, but they took a risk on me to allow me an opportunity which led me to one day being able to preach hopefully a half-decent message, maybe once or twice. But if, if no one ever took a risk on me, it was a big risk giving me a microphone at 15 years old. I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. That was a big risk. But we need to take risks on people. Uh, give people opportunities to serve, give people opportunities to lead, and actually if they fall flat on their face, pick them back up again and give them another shot. We need to be taking risks in people. We only be taking a risk in church stuff. If God tells us to do something and it seems insurmountable to us, then we need to look at things not on our strength, but in God's strength. Yes, as a human, I can do that. Yes, as a human, that's a massive risk, but I'm genuinely convinced God said to do it, so I'm just going to do it anyway. I'm going to take a risk, and actually if it goes wrong, I'll learn from it, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll move on. Anyway, but many of us fear taking risks to serve God. Many of us fear taking risks to share the gospel with people in case we offend people or in case we get left out. Uh, we, we fear, particularly maybe as young people, saying no to going to parties with drink at them in case we look stupid. I just think we need to be risk takers. Risk people no liking you. Risk people thinking badly of you because actually if we just go and share the gospel despite it being a risk there might be one or two folk don't like you for it but there might be one or two folk give their life to Jesus because of it and it's a whole lot more worth it doing that so I would risk looking stupid there's a good bit of leadership advice for you risk looking stupid sometimes in order to move forward I risk, I, I, I risk looking stupid sometimes and I do look stupid sometimes but that's okay Remember is really, really important in leadership and, you know, just general life, but particularly leadership is you're not going to get it right every single time. I haven't got it right every single time. I get it wrong sometimes, but I'd rather try and fail than never have tried at all. It's that's quite a simple thing to say, but it is also profound because we don't do that. I'd rather fall flat on my face nine times if I succeed the tenth time than I never tried at all. Um... Being taking risks will expose you sometimes. Taking risks will, like for me, taking risks in here, every time I stand up and say, this is where I believe we have to go, I'm taking a risk of exposing myself as someone who's got it wrong. Right? Because <laughs> sometimes I'll need to turn around and go, I said this is where I felt we were to go and I was wrong. I heard wrong. I didn't get it right. But if I worry about ever having to stand up and say that, then I'll never do anything because I never ever want to, because I'm too proud to stand in front of folks and say, got that one wrong, guys. We, we've got to be willing to 
get it wrong sometimes. Mistakes are actually only mistakes if you don't learn from them. Other than that, they're learning experiences. If you learn from it, it's not really a mistake. It's just part of educating yourself and a part of growing. Sometimes I'll hear right. Sometimes I'll hear wrong. But the brilliant thing about if you take a risk and you have heard wrong, God's brilliant at redirecting your path. God will he'll just redirect you. He'll just send you back on to the right path. Back then when I'd heard God speak to me about risk taking, I felt him ask a question, what would you attempt if you knew it would work? So if it didn't appear to be a risk, what would you attempt if you knew for 100% it would work? And then I've just decided I'm going to do those things. If I, if I thought it was definitely going to work, I would do it, but I'm just going to do it anyway. And if some work, that's great. And if some don't work, then God's good and God's going to have another plan for that. But what can you dare to imagine? Where's a thought of We serve a God that can do the impossible. What can you dare to imagine? Most, unfortunately, people couldn't dare to imagine a church explosion. Most people couldn't dare to imagine revival. Most folk wouldn't even have the courage to say it out of their mouth in case it didn't happen and they look stupid. But what if we dared to imagine it? What if we dared to imagine it? What can you dare to imagine? And what would you attempt? What ministry would you attempt? What person would you speak to? Where would you go and preach the gospel? What would you attempt if you knew it would work? I just think we try and do those things. And we be agile. We be willing to change if we've made a mistake. We be willing to redirect our paths. There's no room for pride in leadership. People love authenticity. If you get it wrong, put your hand up and say you got it wrong. I've seen tons and tons of mistakes in my 40 years in the church. But the thing that's got me most of all, and the thing that's annoyed me most of all, is to see a leader stand up on a platform who's evidently made a mistake and try and tell the church that he hasn't. And try and spin it to suit himself or try and spin it that actually this is the next big thing. And actually, mate, you've just made a mistake. Just, just be honest about it. You've made a mistake. And it's really important to me in my ministry that if I make a mistake, I'm just going to own the fact I've made a mistake because I'm going to make them sometimes, by the way. And if you think I'm not, then you're sadly, sadly mistaken. You can't be a leader and not make mistakes, but there's no room for pride in leadership. Here's another point for you. There's no room for pride in leadership. People follow authenticity. That's true now more than it's ever been, actually, in the society that we live in now. Authenticity is everything. Um, two other points I'm going to make. This one took me a wee while to get, but it was fundamentally important when I got it. As a leader, you always work for the majority and not the minority. You speak to the majority and not the minority. What we can fall into the trap of in church or in any other form of leadership really is that when, for example, if I'm preaching a message and I know that one person in my congregation is not going to like that message because I know that they've got a problem or an attitude error or something's wrong and I don't preach the message so I don't upset that one person when I know it was going to bless every other single person in the room, then I'm wrong. But a lot of leaders do that. They'll not say things because one person's going to get upset when 200 people are going to get blessed by it. And we preach to the minority a lot of the time. A lot of leaders give the vast majority of their time to people that cause them trouble. So in a church of this size, right, 200 or so people now, 190 of them probably behind us and everything that's going on, and you're always going to have some that aren't. They've been quite vocal on Facebook this week. It's been lovely, right? But I've got a choice to make, right? I've got a choice to make. 
I can focus on 190 and, and lead us forward and keep going and keep doing what God's telling me to do. Or I can be so upset about the one or two that I'm spending all my time trying to firefight that and then I'm actually not moving the church on at all. I'm not looking after the leaders of the church. I'm not developing people because all I'm doing is firefighting the one or two. And what I've noticed is in life, the, the leaders and most pastors I've seen unfortunately spend their time on the ones and two and get so burnt out by the one and two that they can't, they can't grow beyond the 30, 40, 50 folk because one or two folk are stopping them doing it. We have to minister to the majority. We have to understand and, and realize and accept that the vast majority of people are actually behind us in, in leadership when we're moving forward for God. Most people are behind you. Focus on that stuff. Uh, don't make decisions for the few. Don't preach to the few. Uh, preach. Don't preach to appease the minority. Preach to the majority. Give your time to people that are behind you. Give your time to future leaders. Give your time to folk that's going to replicate and duplicate and multiply that time and that wisdom into something better uh, rather than people that are not. If we put our time and energy and teaching into people who aren't with us, we're not getting anywhere. And then the people who are with you will end up not being with you because they've not had any of your time and you've not served them and you've not looked after them and you've not done the stuff that you're supposed to do. The number one tactic I've seen of Satan destroying churches is just sending in folk that suck the pastor's time and suck people's time off them and they suck so much of your time you can't do anything. So, um, so that, you know, I don't fall for that anymore. I did, I used to fall for it. I did. I don't fall for it anymore, much to the upset of some people, but uh, I ain't falling for it. Um, I ain't falling for it, and I encourage you not to do that as well. So think on the majority, work for the majority, preach for the majority, preach what God's called you to say, whether one or two folks going to be offended by it or not. Really, really important. And don't be afraid of losing people along the way. Again, most churches I've seen stunting their growth, it's because they've got their wee group of 30, 40 folk, and they're just not prepared to lose two people. Because, it, because it's less bums and seats and people get scared about that. But again, any branch in me that bears fruit, I'll prune it yeah. for more growth. What does pruning mean? Cutting some stuff away, yeah. but not all of it away in order that you get more growth. God said to me last year, and the leaders can confirm this so as you know I'm not making it up, God gave me a list of names. I've never said this publicly before. God gave me a list of names last January who were going to leave the church last year. And it was a reasonable list, like 10, 15 names on it or something, maybe even 20. And I was like, because some of the names I didn't expect to be on the list, some of them, I wasn't surprised, right? Some of them I did not expect to be on that list. Uh, and I was quite taken aback when, when God had like shown me this list of people. I was like, wow. And I said, God, right, fair enough. As long as you send people in quicker than you're taking them out, <laughs> then, then that's okay. And slowly, but slowly, but slowly, up until September last year, every single person on that list left the church, plus another two folk that I didn't expect. So there was two folk, and actually when they left, I said, you're the only people I'm saying, I think you're making a mistake, because God never told me you were leaving, and God told me everyone else was leaving. So I, never, I just let them go, right? Um, really, really bizarre. Um, and I shared that list, so the, I shared that list with the leadership long before any of them left for the leadership's encouragement to say, God's told me this is going to happen, so see when it happens, we don't lose our heads. 
we keep we keep ourselves together and we keep going forward because this is what God's doing. I don't know why, but actually, when you see the amount of new people that's come in and the amount of amazing people that's come in that we've had to work with, I've had to spend my time trying to appease ten folk who isn't happy. We're never ever going to have got here. And I remember somebody asking me, it was Adelaide actually. I love Adelaide. She's no left, she just moved, right? There's a difference. Right? When Adelaide asked me, like, you know, are you not upset that these people have moved on? I went, no, because every single one of them is in another church. So they're all right. Right? That, so another church that was struggling has been blessed because they've got more people in it. They've got more people given. And I've got, and I've not got these people in the church that I know are they really behind what we're doing. So like they're winning, we're winning, the church is winning, everybody's winning. It's all about the kingdom of God. So we can get really, really upset about nonsense. If some people move on because they're better suited somewhere else, that's good for them. It's good for me. It's good for the kingdom of God. So we're all right with that. Anyway, don't know where I was going with all that. Didn't mean to say any of it. There you go. Work for the majority though. Work for them already. Don't be scared when God prunes. Don't be scared when God takes people away because he, so he has to take folk away to make space for the growth. And that's okay. Uh, lastly, uh, I want us as a church to be ready for change. Um, people, you hear this false narrative all the time that people hate change. People don't hate change. People love change. Who doesn't like a new car? Is anybody not like a new car? Everybody loves a new car. It's not that people don't like change. It's that people don't like how we deliver change. It's about delivering change in the proper manner. It's about bringing people with you. It's about preparing people for the change. If you get a new car, you've been preparing for the fact you're getting a new car for a couple of months. You've been looking at different options. You've looked into the benefits of getting the new car and you understand why the new car will be better for you than the old car. Therefore, when you get the new car, you're not unhappy with the change. You're delighted with the change. And you, Sandra, you've just had one. You know what I'm talking about, right? People love change if they see the benefits of the change. So in church and in leadership, when you're changing things, when you're moving forward, you always share the why before you share the what, always. We want to achieve this. We believe we're going to do this. this is what we want to see. So in order to get, so you, people get excited about that. Okay, in order to do this, we need to do that. Okay, that's all right. But if you just go ahead and do that without telling folk why you're doing it, you understand why people get questions and why people are upset and why people don't. I, I made a fundamental, massive, categoric mistake as a 23-year-old man when I had my own business and I decided one day I had a call centre and my staff sat at a desk and phoned folk all day every day selling them stuff. And uh, we had computers and they would go into yale.com and we'd find the numbers of the people we were phoning and we would phone them and we would sell them stuff. And, uh, and then Facebook was getting more and more popular. So people weren't they doing as much selling as what they were supposed to be doing because they were on Facebook or Bebo at the time, if folks that remember Bebo and like, they, were, they were just doing stuff they weren't they meant to be doing. So I decided one day that when they all went home from work, I took all the computers out my office and I went and got a yellow pages, if you remember them, and I stuck them on a the desk and I never said nothing to MD. My staff walked in the next day and saw these yellow pages on the desk and there was a massive revolt. <laughs> and I didn't understand why, because I was just a daft wee 23-year-old boy with his own business. And I was like, shut your face and do what you're told. It's my way or a highway and all that pure bad management stuff, right? Just get it done. It didn't work very well. It didn't go down very well. And I learned very, very early on, you have to prepare people for change. If you change stuff without preparing folk, you're in trouble. But if you prepare folk actually and folk understand why you're doing it. So like the why we're doing this is to improve sales in this place so that you guys get more money at the end of the month. Would you like more money at the end of the month? I'd love more money at the end of the month. Well, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to move the computers. I'm going to put these in for these reasons. I bet you the dollar came with me. But it didn't come with me because I changed it without telling them. So be ready for change. 
but lead through change and lead change appropriately. Does all that make sense? So to clarify my points today, build a church for the next generation, build a church that your kids would want to go to. Numbers are important. Take risks. Work for the majority and not the minority and be ready for change. Um, I hope that helps. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for The Engine Room. Why not follow or subscribe to this podcast and feel free to do the same to our social media pages as well as our YouTube channel. Find out more about our church at homechurchscotland.org.